think it would be safe to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're a seeker looking to see what exists beyond the veil, what lurks beneath the surface of the world, and what's beyond the material realm that we navigate each day. Perhaps I'm assuming, but the assumption feels safe. (laughs) Today, I have on somebody who has taken every rabbit hole that you could possibly imagine and synthesized it into a map riddled with meaning of basically every key that you need to unlock in order to awaken to what exists beyond the matrix, if you will. Today I have on an artist named Champ Parinya. Champ is a hyperdimensional artist and Dzogchen yogi who is the creator of the Great Awakening Map, the supreme red pill that has awakened countless minds around the world. Presently traveling Thailand, he also runs the Instagram Ascension Knowledge page, 5D Awakening Consciousness. So as many of the guests on the show have come to me, Champ came into my life through synchronicity, through the digital ethers of Instagram. I had ordered a copy of his map and it's hanging in my living room and has been a source of great inspiration for me. Basically summarizes every YouTube click hole I've gone down in the last uh, seven years probably. But um, in this conversation, we get really deep and weird as we explore the inception of the Great Awakening map how Champ gave up his life in Los Angeles as an artist who's shown at both LACMA and MOCA to live in Thailand and practice Dzogchen meditation. We also talk about a strange encounter I had in the summer of 2014 that really forever changed my perception. And um, we also explore what Dharma is and isn't. And it's a really beautiful, peaceful gentle conversation on heavy subject matter that I think will leave you feeling feeling some kind of way at the very least. To learn more about Champ's work, uh, you can visit his website, which is greatawakeningmap.co. There you can download copies of the map for free or purchase museum quality prints of this incredible amalgamation of human history. You can also follow Champ on Instagram at 5D Awakening Consciousness. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Radio Amenti, embracing the eternal now where minds and timelines merge, inspiring synchronicity, awakening potential, and making sense of change. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Jennifer. It's so amazing to finally meet you after seeing you on Instagram for maybe over this entire year or more. Yeah. Oh, my God. When I, I don't even know how I found your account, probably Divine Synchronicity. It's a nice thing when um, to kind of maintain some anonymity and just have, have this 
creation that inspires people and not make it so much about like the person. But it's kind of cool when you realize like, oh, well, there is a person behind <laughs> behind this creation. Yeah. If people really, really look hard, they'll be able to find my main account. But um, 5D Awakening Consciousness on Instagram is my main account that I've been using for, I think, over a year and a half now. And it is um, the way I can share the Great Awakening map, which I made um, over the past year. So that's probably how you found me and then eventually found my other accounts as well. Totally. Yeah. And I I mean, I want to get right into it because the Great Awakening map, when I found it, it was just like, holy shit, (laughs) this is everything that I have been researching for the last like 35 years. But in particular, I think since like 2012, I had my great awakening and you have been able to synthesize the path in such a beautiful way, but in such a concise way. So I'd love to hear what inspired you and how how you began creating this amazing work of art. Well, that's really good that you said 2012, because I remember my date as well. It was very exact, 2007, 2008, I began my awakening because I was I was coming out of art school. I went to UC Irvine. And after art school, I was sort of like in a limbo between work and, and not work as a freelance designer. So I was home every day as a freelance designer. And I started to watch YouTube videos about secret bases on the moon and on Mars. And it really put me down the rabbit hole and I became like a full-time researcher. I was obsessed with finding all these secrets about our solar system. And then from there I met, you know, David Wilcock. I watched probably every single lecture he has ever made. Right. (laughs) And um, I always call myself like his number two favorite fan and his number one favorite fan is out there in the world somewhere. But anyways, I really, had my awakening with him and other researchers like Nassim Haramein, Sacred Geometry. And I went into, well, I guess after that, it was about seven or eight years that I was just working as a freelance designer and researching the entire time. So, you know, after that entire period, I was able to finally say, you know what, I want to write a book. I've been researching all this stuff for so many years people are finally starting to awaken. Social media is very popular now. So instead of writing a book, I decided to make a one-page meme because memes are very, very powerful now. And you can communicate an entire book with just one meme. So I had to decide how to do it right. And as a graphic designer, as an artist, this was the one thing that made the most sense to me. So that's how I created the Great Awakening Map. It's incredible how information travels mimetically and what can happen just from something going viral, you know? And I think that's such a good point you mentioned, especially in the time that we're in. Not everybody wants to sit and read a book or do hours and hours and hours of research to find all of the breadcrumbs, right? But to have this map you can keep returning to is just, for me, it's great because anytime I I need some inspiration or want to find a rabbit hole, it's all these keys. (laughs) You can just like throw a dart at the map and whatever it lands, that's (laughs) the way you could research that for years. And that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be really overwhelming 
So when people looked at it, they were just like, they just a little bit overwhelmed at first because they should be. They need to see all the stuff that's existed underneath them for all these years of their life. And they need to be like, they need to feel like, where have I been this whole time? And with that type of, um, that type of energy, I want people to research on their own these rabbit holes. I want them to see the trails, connect them themselves. That's why I don't really have anything written about the map, like on the back of the map. There's like nothing about it, right? This is the way it was supposed to be designed. It was supposed to create a, a mystery to the viewer. And it's supposed to let them do the work themselves because that's more, that's more healing and more powerful, I believe. Totally. I think, um, you know, nobody, nobody likes being told what to do or how to do it. <laughs> and Definitely not. no, it just creates more resistance. But when you can kind of just say, okay, well, here you go. Now, now, uh, follow the white rabbit, <laughs> see where you land. It's really powerful. That's why I think it's so important for uh, graphic designers such as yourself. You're able to be like the avant-garde in this information battle because the graphic designers have all the tools necessary to awaken the public as fast as possible, faster than any news agency, any news channel, any radio show. I think the artists on Instagram are the ones who are truly the front line of the Great Awakening because we are able to make memes that are captivating and powerful enough to to go into the public consciousness quickly. Do you know what I mean? Completely. And I think there's something so powerful in art as an activator of consciousness because it kind of allows those like neural pathways to fire and for new new ideas to form instead of I mean, I love reading, but I think sometimes articles and I, I, I think that there's just so much information out there, but art as an activator of consciousness is a really powerful tool. You know, and being in the midst of they say we're in this like I think we I really do believe we're in this this renaissance period, right? Renaissance periods emerge during dark times and what that does is inspire the creators to create more. And when you can take really dense esoteric subject matter and channel it into a work of art, that's that's a deep understanding that transcends language and is so important because it becomes something that's cross-cultural. It's it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in the world, you see a piece of art that activates something within you. It leads you on a path. Oh yeah. Do you remember I was maybe sharing with you some of my previous artwork I was doing for a few years. My artwork is DMT inspired. So I was creating these hyperdimensional landscapes. Um, I was using photography as a medium and I was using sort of like a universal language to try to show people different scenes and different visions I, I was witnessing on my very profound psychedelic journeys. And this art project lasted for many years when I was living in LA, I had my studio, I was making these, these really large scale large format photo prints of these hyperdimensional landscapes. And um, I think my last show was a few years ago. It was guest curated with Mocha and LACMA. I think your guests may know those museums. But that was my last showing in L.A. And ever since that, I sort of took a new path in my life. I started to 
really focus on meditation. And the type of meditation I practice is called Dzogchen. It is a practice of Tibetan Buddhism. And if anybody knows our Instagrams, we, we like to post stuff about the rainbow body and ascension and light body ascension. So Dzogchen is the direct path to attaining the light body. And anybody can do this, not just Tibetan monks or and not, any, not just Buddhists. This is something anybody can do. And not a lot of people in the West know about Dzogchen yet, but of all the prophecies in Tibetan Buddhism, they say that during these times, Dzogchen would reemerge in the West and it will spread out through different types of teachers who weren't sort of monks, you know, they were just sort of people like you and I who would be sharing this type of information. So I think those prophecies are really coming true now because I see an emergence of Dzogchen in the West. And I learned about it from David Wilcock. So thank you to David Wilcock. Bow down to you. <laughs> you changed my life in so many ways. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. I, it, it's strange too. I, I love your thoughts. You know, speaking of David Wilcock, he talks a lot about the synchronicity keys and synchronicity and how there's this fine line between having this uh, inner urge to find the information, but then the information finding you. Like my my practice with Tibetan Buddhism came to me through synchronicity and it was something that was so... I mean, I still wrap my, I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact of how it came into my life. But have you found that there's certain things where when you don't even realize that you're looking for something, the thing that you never knew you needed comes right to the forefront? Yes. What you just said can be another entire episode for like several months, right? <laughs> because the reason how I found Tibetan Buddhism is very, very special. My ethnicity is Thai. My nationality is American. Buddhism is very popular in Thailand, but when I grew up in America, I was never really inspired by Buddhism. Uh, my mom is Buddhist, but I, you know, I never really went through the practices of it. And only until David Wilcock shared it on, you know, on his work, I started to learn about it. But not until my most profound DMT trip was when I saw Tibetan Buddhist imagery and Thanka paintings, and a lot of deities that I had never seen. I had not known any of their names. I was very, very surprised to see Sanskrit and these very, very long passages written in Sanskrit and Pali. But these are languages I've never been influenced by growing up in the West. So after that DMT trip, it led me on a journey to figure out why I saw all of these profound Tibetan Buddhist visions and images of a culture I have never even studied, let alone seeing language written out like Sanskrit, right? How can I have seen that if I've never even studied it? And that was when I really, really realized that there's something special in this culture that I have to find out. I have to figure this out. And then I also found out, oh, you know Alex Gray, the psychedelic painter? He was... I saw his paintings and I was like, wait a minute, he's painting things that I've seen as well. There's something going on here with the psychedelic explorers and Buddhism. And that's what really led me to Tibetan Buddhism. And then when David Wilcock did the Dzogchen episode, 
linking it all with the rainbow body, that's when I was like, okay, I'm in all in with this. (laughs) (laughs) I've been researching for 10 years of about everything, but nothing is more profound than Dzogchen psychedelics and Tibetan Buddhism. So that's where I am after everything that I've seen in my life. I am, I'm right there with you. And it's funny because I, I had this slight uh, interest in Buddhism in, in high school and I, I bought some books by the Dalai Lama, but I just, I never could wrap my head around it until I had profound psychedelic journeys. And then this last summer when I was in Tibet and I, I journeyed with a bunch of Vajrayana Buddhists and it, it was a really a, a incredible group of people because it was Vajrayana Buddhists, but also um, my dear friend Nitin is a Hindu. So it was this really great lens to see the culture from both sides. But when I came back, I had all these really crazy synchronicities around Green Tara. But then in July, July of this year, I did uh, Bufos, 5-MEO DMT. And that's when it finally hit home on such a deep level. I'm like, this wisdom is so profound. And these Tibetan monks are going there naturally. And uh, we are just so, so much more powerful than we even realize. And the ancients knew it for so long. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. I'm so speechless. I have nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, and with Alex Gray, this is again coming back to the role of the artist. When you see his work, or when I see your work, it's like I, I have so much respect for the artist that can kind of get that screenshot from these trans-dimensional realms and bring it back to the three D. So you say, "Oh wow, yes, been there. <laughs> I, I remember that." Oh, there's so much information in one second of a psychedelic trip that you could take that one second. And it would still be more information in there than the entire canon of art history. It's truly, people do not truly understand what a psychedelic trip really entails. It's, it's ineffable. You cannot use language. You can hardly use art. It's like, you cannot even talk about it. <laughs> Just go, no. go and do it yourself <laughs> and then come and talk to us. <laughs> Completely. That's that's kind of where I've been at too. And I, I don't know on your path um, has, has this does this resonate? But I remember when I first woke up, right? Uh, I just wanted to shout it from the rooftops, and I just w- wanted to talk to talk about it with everybody that I met, and just like how you do not see that the world <laughs> operates in such a way. But I've gotten to a very grounded place the last few years of of just really integrating the, these initiations and finding that. Again, why the map is so important, why these breadcrumbs are so important, because you can show somebody something. And I think that that's, that's more profound than trying to shout it from the rooftops and tell people like, see? <laughs> Welcome to the club. I think that's the yeah. hardest thing for lightworkers when they're first awakening is that they want to shake everybody up and they want to get their family to awaken. And they message me on Instagram every day and they say, I'm so lonely. I'm so depressed. My family isn't awakening, but I am. And my friends don't want to awaken. And I tell them, dude, you are part of the club now. Just don't worry. (laughs) Everything will be okay. They will awaken when the time is right. But your job is just to set an example for them. And when the time is right, they will awaken. Yes, yes, yes. It's, I love that. It's funny. A friend of mine, um, I took him 
like two weeks ago to have his first experience with 5-MEL. And this is my, oh my God. Right? <laughs> this is my childhood friend that I've been friends with since we were like seven years old. Our dads were athletes and he's going through this awakening. And it was funny because yesterday we were at a benefit for our friend's daughter and he's like, oh, I'm having a hard time just kind of like being around normal people. And I'm like, you have to understand, this is the real work to be able to go up there, receive that information, and then to be present and to hold it without judgment for people that haven't gotten here yet. And that was one of the profound things I learned last summer from my friend who is a Vajrayana Buddhist, where he was just breaking down to me the preciousness of human life and to be in this human life and to receive the Dharma and to be able to synthesize it through art and to even be able to scratch the surface of Tibetan Buddhism and esoteric philosophy and have an understanding, what a gift that is. And then to find these medicines and be able to work with them, what a gift that is. And I think sometimes when we're, we're in it and now like so immersed in the space, it's, uh, it's easy to forget that this is really, it's such a gift to find this stuff and for it to find you, you know? Yes, exactly. I didn't really understand this, a few years ago, but the more I started to study Dzogchen, I started to realize by, by my readings that when people like you and I come across Tibetan Buddhism, it's based on karma. It's based on your karmic past, how much you've done in past lives. To find Dzogchen, to find the Dharma, is very, very rare. To be born in a human body is very rare. To be born in a human body that can hear and read and find the Dharma is even more rare. So the past karma that we've had is putting us in a position in these lives in order to, I guess, to awaken quickly and then to share this information to different parts of the world, to different types of people, and through different ways. Like we use design, art, Instagram, social media, you have your amazing Amenti Oracle. There's so many ways that we are awakening people in ways that they could never have imagined a thousand years ago. But they did say that during these times, we would be sharing the Dharma in ways that have never been shared before. So like I said earlier, I think some of that prophecy is coming true now. It has to be. This is the consciousness renaissance, right? <laughs> we are, every day we are making the new earth. And, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree completely. And that's that's the thing. You know, social media. I love, have you seen the movie Arrival? No, I've not seen that movie. Oh, you will love it. It's so good. But it's basically this idea that... Um, what the, the it talks a lot about nonlinear time and what happens when we're visited by extraterrestrials and a lot it's this beautiful metaphor on language and how things get lost in translation and it's just I highly recommend it. Oh, I saw the part where they were drawing circles in the mist. Yes. Okay, that's the only part I saw. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but there's one part where um, Amy Adams is talking about the idea of how things can be either a weapon or a tool and how you word something or how you use something, that's that's when a weapon becomes a tool or a tool becomes a weapon. 
So I say this with social media because it is this great gift that can also sometimes feel as a curse when it becomes weaponized, when it becomes this space of density, when it becomes this space of, um, there can be like a lot of hatred and triggering things. But when you look at it as a tool, it is this beautiful tool that connects us. And I mean, that, that's how we found each other. And then maybe in another lifetime, we found each other other ways. But I mean, what a beautiful thing that you can connect cross continents and, uh, you know, meet people that, that are on the same path and share resonance and heart with the journey. It's really incredible. Truly amazing. It is our closest, our closest practice to telepathy. We will soon not need the technology. Mm-hmm. It is just a bridge to really remind us where we're going with our consciousness Technology will always parallel the human consciousness. So I think that with the instantaneous communication we have with the um, social media, it is just on the brink of us becoming telepathic as we ascend more and more each day, as the dense energy cloud continues activating our DNA, right? Our third eyes are opening more. We're becoming more hyperdimensional, closer to 40, closer to 5D. Our telepathy, our empathy, it's all growing each day. And with social media, it can be very damaging sometimes, you know, when people attack you or they say things that aren't true and you have to like, you know, people message me a lot every day and sometimes the messages can be totally negative and sometimes, most of the time, they're very uplifting. So I have to be careful. I have to guard myself as well. It's sort of like energy work. You have to sort of be careful how much you give and how much open, how much openness you give to strangers from around the world. So I think I just wanted to say that about our job every day. When we are on Instagram, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's our boundaries are so important. And that's a word that I, I've only really come into relationship with the last two years because I used to be such a bleeding heart and had no idea what boundaries even were and felt so hurt and personally attacked when people were cruel. But now it's just boundaries are so key because really ultimately you sharing your art and your creations is is a gift to the world and this portable little museum of digital connectivity that we hold in our hands. And, you know, it's, uh, people get triggered because they have their own traumas. So I've, I've just looked at it that way. Right. I wanted to ask you, like, where are you, where do you live? Where were you born? And what is your Zodiac? So I was born in New Jersey and I currently live in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is this very eccentric little beach town. Uh, it's, it's tagline is where music lives. (laughs) I've never visited New Jersey that much. So I definitely will try to visit that area. Yeah, you should definitely come. You'd love it because it's, it's super quirky and I love it here because I'm in Manhattan a lot because a lot of my friends live up in Brooklyn and New York and I'll go up for, for events and whatnot, but I love being by the beach. So it's nice to have Manhattan about like an hour and a half away, but then to have this little beach refuge. And my zodiac sign is an Aries. So um, Aries, sun sign, Capricorn rising, and Pisces moon. Oh, there's so much I, I want to say, but let me, okay, let me start. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was actually born in Manhattan. So... Hello. But I never lived there. I was only born there. My parents moved to California for the rest of my life. 
I was only in Manhattan for maybe a year or two. So I can, I can call myself a New Yorker, but I'm not really a New Yorker. I lived in <laughs> Los Angeles and Orange County my whole life. My zodiac sign is a Gemini. So you'll see like some of my Instagram accounts, they're very different, have different personalities and different names. <laughs> and that's just part of me being a Gemini. And uh, yeah, so New York, Los Angeles, but now I'm actually living in Thailand because last year I was like, there's too many chemtrails here. I need to get out. This is ridiculous. So where I was living in Orange County, chemtrails, fluoride, just too much stuff, too many cell towers, too many Walmarts. Do you know what I mean? It's just like overwhelming. me. I was like, okay, I've been here for too long. I need to walk the walk. So I decided to move to Thailand. And I don't ever plan to go back to America for a long time, maybe to visit family, stuff like that. But I intend to stay in Asia for the rest of my life and travel as many places as I've ever wanted to go. So that's my past year, and I'm very happy to have a whole entire life changed. So this is like my new journey, and I'm living as a Dzogchen yogi. I meditate and study Dzogchen every day, besides, you know, going on my Instagram, right? (laughs) (laughs) But besides that, and practicing Dzogchen every day is my new lifestyle in Thailand. It's very, very nice. I'm very glad I changed my life. That sounds like such a dream. What has been some of the biggest changes you've noticed since you've since you've been living there and and um, really fully embodying and walking this path? It's sort of like letting go, surrendering, because every day I don't know how much money I'll I'll take in from my small store on Instagram. I don't freelance design anymore because my clients drove me crazy. It was very three D you know, 3D type of work. And as an artist and a designer, after working as a freelance for 10 years, you know, so many projects of mine have not turned out the way I wanted them to because the clients just couldn't see the vision or they couldn't see the style. And after a while, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do because nobody can tell me what to do. And that's partly why I started exhibiting my artwork because I was like, you know what, I need to do what I want to do. I need to do it now because I'll never get another chance at this. So I showed in a lot of galleries over the past, like a window of two, three years in LA. And then, like I said, after that, I decided to come to Thailand because I felt like I had done everything I needed to do as an artist in LA. What I really needed to focus now on was like my, my spiritual commitment and my obsession. And I needed to follow my calling, my path. And Dzogchen was just continuously falling into my lap. I had met two lamas who live in Orange County in L.A. Their name is Lama Daniela and Lama Christopher. Anybody can find them and seek them out. They're Dzogchen lamas. They will teach you Dzogchen meditation in Orange County or L.A. So if you guys are interested in learning this profound yet simple meditation technique, you can seek them out. So from learning the technique from the two lamas, I was able to get past the introduction stage of it. Zocheng is special because you need to have a lama sort of introduce you to how to go into the non-dual state of mind. You can read a lot of books about it, but if you sit through a meditation practice, 
with a qualified guru or instructor, it's easier for you to understand what the non-dual state of mind is. So once I experienced that enough, I decided, okay, I can probably live in Asia and practice this and, and be fine because I'm still reading a lot of books every day. And it's just kind of re, re-emphasizing the type of knowledge that my lamas were able to teach me. Wow. What on the path, some of the books, so if somebody is interested in this and might want to first kind of dip their toes in it and maybe read a book about Dzogchen, what would be some of the teachers or, or books that you've found have been really helpful? Um, Dzogchen is special because based on your karma, you will be able to understand it or you may not be able to understand it. This is something that was kind of difficult for me to understand at first. Dzogchen is not for everybody. It's only for the type of people who have the karmic momentum from past lives to be able to understand it and to be able to even practice it, let alone be successful enough to attain enlightenment in one lifetime. The Buddha taught several ways of attaining enlightenment. The enlightened Buddha taught vipassana, vipassana. This is one meditation technique that um, is very, very famous in Southeast Asia. This path to enlightenment is a very, how can you say it? It's like walking up a mountain very slowly, but surely. You may not reach the peak in one lifetime, but you at least know where the peak is. You can see it. But with Dzogchen, it is said to be the Vajrayana quickest path to enlightenment in one lifetime. But the quickest path isn't always the safest path because a lot of people don't understand how to truly do the meditation practice. Dzogchen is like finding a really expensive helicopter that drops you off on top of the mountain peak at night in the cold blizzard. And then you're dropped off alone and you're sliding down to stay at the peak. But you're already at the peak. You've already sensed the enlightened Buddha mind. Your job is just to stay there now. So that's kind of like the analogy between Vipassana and Dzogchen. So if anybody wants to learn about Dzogchen, they have to research it on their own. They have to find books, searching on the internet, Google, Amazon. Just keep looking for Dzogchen. Find out what it is. Try to understand its history and how to practice it. You may not be able to find a guru where you live or a lama based on your environment, your location, your karma, but you can read a lot about it and hopefully learn to understand it on your own. And if you are lucky enough to find a lama or a guru, then you should find a way to sit with them in meditation. It's usually free. You just have to do maybe a dharma donation. I'm speaking to, to people mainly in the West, like who live in America. Lama Surya Das is very famous. Mm-hmm. He's a really good friend of Ram Das. He is the Dzogchen Lama of America. Everybody knows him as the American Lama. So Lama Surya Das... He's actually in New York, near you. Yeah, actually, uh, his book, Awakening the Buddha Within, was one of the first books I ever bought on Buddhism. Oh, I'm so glad you know him. (laughs) So the audience probably knows him as well. So what have you found, so not to kind of like pivot to a a completely different realm, but I mean, it's all connected through Dzogchen and Tibetan Buddhism and kind of bringing it back to the map and what, what 
started your research journey and looking into different bases on the moon and, and whatnot. Um, how with the lens of Buddhism looking at, you know, this phenomena of maybe like extraterrestrial life or things beyond how, what, what is your current perspective on, on that? Oh, that's so profound. And I actually have an answer for that. It has to do with suffering. Suffering is something that all beings have to go through, even enlightened beings, because suffering is, is existing throughout, let's just use the word galaxy for now instead of the universe. Mm. In our galaxy, there's beings who are not enlightened, but they're very highly spiritually evolved, I guess you can say. Because if you're enlightened, you don't suffer anymore, so you're not going to need anything. You're not going to want to go out and, and maybe like build a spaceship to go somewhere and collect supplies. So when I've been studying about all these extraterrestrial races, a lot of them may be 4D, 5D beings, but they still have agendas. They still have a mission. They still want to do something, which means that they are not satisfied. They have to make up for the suffering in their life, the lack of something by trying to create something else, go somewhere in the galaxy. So what's profound to me is that when a monk attains enlightenment, they're able to basically transcend bodily matter. They can turn into light. They can travel multidimensionally anywhere. So I'm thinking to myself, like, how come other ET races don't attain this type of enlightenment or maybe they are already in the state of enlightenment i don't know these are type of questions that like i'm looking for you know i've been a researcher for many years but the type of questions i'm asking are very advanced and i think i'm still searching for that type of answer even though i have my background as a zogchen yogi now i still want to know like what are other beings doing in the universe like how come they're not all enlightened is it just our earth that is teaching these type of practices i I don't know what do you think i think um that's a question that i have too (laughs) i i wonder that often what the suffering and struggles are of another another extraterrestrial being or another civilization what what that looks like and what that is I had commented on your Instagram because you shared a post about those triangles that um, those those ships. Yeah. Um, and if if you don't mind, I'd love to share that full story with you because I think it. Ties oh yes, in. please. <laughs> There's so many things that we have to go over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was the summer of 2014, and um, my ex boyfriend was a tour manager for this band called Budos Band, and he had been on tour. And had a weekend where he had a quick break before he had to go on tour again. So we decided to gather a group of like six friends and go down to the beach. And our original plan was just like go down to the beach and have some beers and hang out, whatever. But as soon as we got to the beach, within like five minutes, cops came and they were like, you can't drink, whatever. We got tickets. They took the alcohol away, but we're like, can we just stay and hang out? Sure. So all the whole night we were just laughing, talking, 
about everything, like the universe, whatever else. And that time I was really into Stephen Greer's work and I had the app on my, my phone. Um, it was like his, his CE5 contact protocol app. And on that app, he had recorded. You do? Oh, amazing. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they have the recordings of the crop circle tones. So I was like, you guys, I'm like, you have to listen to this. This is crazy. Like these are crop circle tones. So we're listening <laughs> to it, talking. And then all of a sudden we see in the sky these two bright orbs that start moving almost like the way DNA moves. And we're like, oh my God, do you guys see this? What? The app really works. <laughs> yeah, the app works. And I'm like laughing. That is crazy. I'm laughing. And I'm like, see? No way. Yeah. And I, I, had, I was like, oh my God, see guys? Like interdimensional beings respond to consciousness and here we are, we're laughing and light and having a great time and playing crop circle tones and they're here for us now. And I was so excited. And this goes on for like 20 minutes and we're all just like cheering and excited. And it felt very, it felt almost like a cosmic wink, you know, it felt very good. And then uh, one of the friends that were sitting with us was like asking about, well, aren't there different alien races and whatever? And at that time we had a friend or I have a friend who's a fashion designer and he's super trippy and like an amazing designer, but he claims to be a reptilian shapeshifter from the seventh dimension or something, uh, <laughs> which whatever he's, he believes he's here to influence humanity through his fashion. I'm like, I totally support that, but, um, probably it's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> so she had asked, that and then my ex was like, Yeah, Babylonian Brotherhood, reptilian shapeshifters. And then, champ, I kid you not, after he said that, one of those triangles appeared and it was gigantic, silent, hovered over us. And the girl looks at me, she goes, You see this? I said, Yes, I see this. And I have never felt a wave of terror like I felt in that moment than I ever have in my entire life. And it hovered over us silently disappeared into the horizon. This wave of terror reverberates through all of us. And we're like, we have to get out of here. Like that did not feel good. And I was convinced that they were talking about reptilians and summoned a reptilian ship. And it was, I was just fucking terrified. So we leave the beach and go back to my apartment. We're all shaken and just like, oh my God, what was that? Like freaked out. Then my X had to leave for tour and for two weeks straight, my right arm was shaking so bad that it was just like I had like a tremor going through my body constantly because I was so afraid. Still from that night? No, now, no. But f- right afterwards for like a month straight, it was like a tremors going through my body because the light, wow. the lights felt something like something beautiful, but then the ship felt something like something terror, really terrible. And I'd love your opinion because I, I had been so freaked out thinking that, oh my God, like we summon reptilians. But then I took a meeting with, um, do you know Sean Stone? Yes. So Sean and I are friends and we took a meeting and right after that had happened and I told him about that and he's like, oh no, you see the lights that you saw, those may have been something interdimensional, extraterrestrial, but the ship you saw, that's like a black budget government thing and they always come in tandem. So it's like, exactly. if you see the lights, then the ship comes because they want to know what happened that made the lights come. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, your story made me have chills all over my body. Wow. I have never met anybody like you who has seen that ship up close before mm-hmm. other than Bashar. Do you know Bashar, the channel? Yes. Channeling. 
Yeah. Bashar saw the same craft and the, the triangle craft. And that's what changed his life and made him start channeling. Wow. So is that, um, wait, is that true? Channel? I did not know that because this is crazy because after that had happened, I started channeling. That's when my channeling oh, journey really? started. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe Bashar also had another craft appear before the triangle because I think the triangle craft are government craft, black project crafts. I don't think yeah. ETs, benevolent ETs are piloting those type of craft, but for some reason, Something supernatural always occurs, like to Bashar, he began channeling to find out what happened to him. And for you, I guess something also changed in your life after seeing that craft. But it could have been the orbs that you saw before that, that had some sort of telepathic connection to you. I don't know. We're all, we're both figuring this out at the same time. That's wild. I never knew that about Bashar, but yeah. But you had some channeling experience afterwards. So what happened? So at that summer, I, um, I've been able to read Oracle cards since I was eight because my grandmother taught me and it's been such a, Oh, wow. Such you a, answered my question. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she, she really nurtured my intuition cause I've always been a very psychic kid dream things. I'm like, I'm more like the Edgar Casey kind of intuitive where I dream things and they happen. I still kind of stumble through waking life and find it hard to be a human. But most of my, most of my dreams are very prophetic constantly deja vu. But that summer I was working at a bookstore doing readings for people. And that was the only time in my life I had ever like charged doing readings and it never really felt good. But the bookstore that we were in, we one day uh, I was there having lunch and the floodgates opened and all of a sudden I started channeling and all this stuff started coming through. And it was like a form of automatic writing where my hand might move my hand and then things would come through me. And uh, it was crazy because first it came through in like really kind of like broken words. And the more I listened to what it was telling me, which was to clean my vessel and to not drink alcohol and to like be very pure and things started to come through clearer and clearer. Mm -hmm. And at one point I was channeling in Aramaic. One point I was channeling Turkish words and I don't speak either of those languages. So my ex used to scribe for me and we'd get this information, these little breadcrumbs and then look up the words and be like, what? How is this happening? <laughs> but it became confusing because, you know, it was like almost two years of, of doing a lot of channeling work and some of the advice was so profound and I, I was able to literally, I channeled the whole book on the major arcana. I channeled all of this prophetic stuff about 2019, which actually like crazy, like, everything in 2014 that had come through came true, which is very weird. But I had to kind of put it down because I felt like um, I was almost relying on that for answers more than just allowing the path to unfold. And I, I have a complicated relationship with it, but yeah, it's wild. Wow. That's amazing. What are you working on mostly today? Like uh, from, yeah, from what you do? Every day. Yeah. Uh, so I, Amenti came out in May, which has been such a gift to be able to see how it's unfolded and how everybody that's reading it is making the work their own and finding ways to incorporate it into their practice. And it's just been such a, a blessing. But I have an idea for a second Oracle deck that I, I've been tending to, but really the, the next work that I want to 
kind of go into is more, um, you, have you heard of the concept of Kintsugi? No. So Kintsugi is this philosophical idea and also a form of art where if a piece of pottery is broken, the object's brokenness becomes part of its history when you take the broken pieces and weld them together with gold. Yes, I know that. Yeah, so I want to write this book loosely based on Kintsugi and tying that into the idea that our brokenness is what makes us beautiful and it helps us expand for more compassion and love. Um, so that's that's my big next project. It's so wonderful. <laughs> your your decks are so beautiful, and I was wondering if you use like illustration, traditional illustration. Is that how they're created? Yeah. So the way actually, uh, Natalie, my my partner and a mentee, we found each other through divine synchronicity. But she's an incredible illustrator, and like you said, with clients. I, I do social media um, consulting and I've had far too many clients in the beginning that would be like, it needs to be like this. It needs to be like that micromanaging. Oh, no. and it, it felt <laughs> awful. And as a creative person, I feel like that stifles your creative flow when you're told how something should be or what it should look like. So when Natalie and I joined forces, I, I just love her art so much and trusted her enough that I was like, listen, I'm going to write the words and I just want you to draw how it makes you feel. Uh, that's how they're yeah. okay. Amazing. Yeah. So what what are you working on next? Um, what's what's in the pipeline for, for you? That's a really interesting question. <laughs> I haven't been asked that for a long time, mm. so I don't have an answer prepared. Um, every day I practice my Dzogchen meditation. And it's the only thing that I love doing. Mm. I don't want to do anything else besides make memes for my Instagram once in a while. I do take care of my Instagram daily. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But when I'm not doing that, I try to just practice the Dzogchen awareness technique. I like to walk around Bangkok with no map, no plan, no time. I just go out. I just walk. I just explore the city in ways and places nobody else has ever seen. I'm very lucky to be living here for this season. And it's very, very hot. And it's takes a lot of energy to be able to walk for hours and hours and hours throughout the whole day, going to new places and practicing the awareness meditation, trying to keep that non-dual state of mind no matter what I come across. So that's my practice that I've been doing when I'm here in Bangkok. I really, really enjoy doing it here. But um, in a few weeks, I'll return back to North Thailand where I will stay in a really tiny retreat house that I've created to be sort of like my meditation retreat. And um, it's not quite in the forest. It's not quite on a mountainside, but it's close enough to what a Dzogchen yogi should be staying in while they practice. So that's what I'll be doing in Thailand um, and trying to travel to other cities, like sort of... um, seeing as much of this country as I can um, this year and next year, as long as I stay here. That's beautiful. <laughs> so typically, this is, this is a question I'm curious about too. So when going into, say, retreat for meditation practice, do you stay, will you be staying in complete isolation for, for it? And, and how long does that typically last? I'm, I'm super curious where where i stay is a very very tiny tiny town 
up in the north of Thailand, uh, northeast of Thailand. And I have a few family who live in the town with me. My next door, the house next door to me is distant relatives. So I'm not totally isolated, but it's the, it's a town where my mom grew up when she was a town, uh, when she was a child. So she's had this house there that, you know, for all her life, but did she's never needed to use. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Thailand. I'm going to make this into a retreat house. It's the perfect place for me to live right now in my life. Um, so I'm not totally isolated. I have to go out and get food every day. I ride a little motor scooter around the town. But what I really want to do is I want to find a mountainside somewhere. And I want to stay on the mountainside and just sit there for many months, maybe years, and just practice the Dzogchen technique. It is something that I truly, truly love. And it's, it's sort of like a true bodhisattva's calling. I don't want to do anything else besides this. And I think that's really a good spot for me to be in in my life because I'm not out chasing money. I'm not out trying to, trying to chase fame or ego. I sort of left that all behind in Los Angeles. And now I can just become a new person. And nobody knows me, you know? <laughs> I'm basically on my own every day. And I think that is my greatest happiness so far in my life. After everything I've seen, after all those years in LA, you know, that whole chase, uh, it's, it's, been a long, it's been a long journey, but it's a very good one. That's so beautiful. And I think that that's a, that's a profound thing, the times that we're in and speaking to the times that we're in. I, I love so much the story of Milarepa and his whole path to enlightenment, you know, uh, being born into wealth and then having the wealth taken away and betrayed by his family and then studying the dark arts and realizing that revenge is a, <laughs> a thirst that can never be quenched. Yeah, very good knowledge of, of Milarepa. That's I love Milarepa's story. But yeah, this is this is the thing for like our modern myth. It's the people like yourself, people people like us that have gone through a different path to awakening and see that this is this is the cosmic joke, right? You know, you you get all this glamour, the illusions of Maya, of like things. Like I want the new bag, I want the new shoes, I want the new car, and you realize right. it's like a hunger that can never be satiated. And when you realize how little you need to feel pure bliss and happiness and connection to everything, it's it's kind of funny when you realize it's like, wow, this is just I can get there with my mind. <laughs> I, I started to sell and give away everything that I own. When I started to live in Orange County and LA, I was getting rid of like all my old clothes, all my old furniture, anything I didn't need, I would just throw it away. Sometimes I would just throw away expensive stuff in the trash because I didn't know where else to put it. And I started to realize that the less and less stuff that I owned, the more and more I started to spiritually awaken. And the less that I owned, I was happier. So... Fast forward 10 years now, I sold everything except like my car. My car is, is back at my parents' house in America. I don't own anything except a tiny suitcase and my iPhone and my MacBook. And this is all I need to basically survive living here as a yogi. And I never thought in my life I would be living like this. I always thought like I'd have like a really fancy, you know, condo in Silver Lake somewhere as an artist. You know, that whole... That whole thing. 
But now I have given it all away and I'm just living as a yogi in Thailand. Nobody knows where I am. None of my friends have any idea what even Dzogchen means. And I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful and that's so courageous and such a testament to how connected and embodied you are in the practice because that takes such strength to really do that and commit to it and to, to be in it. I, I often wish, especially after my journey through Kailash, and if I could, I would, and maybe one day I will, but you know, I have, I have two cats and a dog and I, I would love nothing more than in my fifties like, to be able to just go do that. <laughs> that would be to the dream. And, uh, cause I mean, I'm an only child too. So like be, Oh, amazing. Oh, me too. <laughs> so like, just kind of like being alone on a meditative <laughs> path sounds like a dream come true. <laughs> oh, you know, you know that a lot of light workers start children where we're the only child a lot of the time. And yes, we love pets. I have a pug and a Siamese cat, mm. but I can't be with them right now. They're living somewhere else, but mm. hopefully I'll be united with them again one day. I just wanted to say real quick that yeah. um, it, it was Dharma that was so misunderstood by me and by a lot of people in the West. Dharma is very mysterious. There's so many secrets about it. And not until I was really had my ego totally beaten down and not until I was like totally a different person than I had ever been. Only then did the Dharma start to open up for me. Only then did it start to bloom and I started to understand what Dharma really is and how is it able to change your life between like the law of attraction, you know, like in the West we have law of attraction, we have these spiritual sort of beliefs and then with the Dharma, it really helped me find this lifestyle. It really helped me manifest everything I needed to get by every day and be happy doing it. I think manifesting is very important to learn. Um, and my secret for it is gratitude, being thankful for everything in your life. Every little thing you have to always be thankful for in your mind. Feel gratitude and feel gratitude for something that you haven't received yet. So, for example, people say, oh, I want to travel the world and have enough money. So if you want to do that, you have to be thankful that it already happened and then believe that it's going to start happening. And that's what I practice. And that's exactly mm. how my life ended up. Not in the way that I pictured, but a little bit better and a little bit more exciting than <laughs> what my <laughs> ego tried to dream up many years ago. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, it's following that flow consciousness and believing and, and feeling and thanking and then allowing it to come with effortless ease. You know, it's... it's um, I think that's the rub, you know, when we want to manifest from a space of, of suffering or attachment, there's this resistance that's created. But if you're just in a space of gratitude, I mean, gratitude's such a beautiful space to be in because it really is a magnet for everything that you need and want. <laughs> exactly. On my Great Awakening map, there's a secret section that says, gratitude is one of the highest vibrations in the universe. And... I put that there because it's very powerful because most people will say like, no, it's not love is the most powerful or whatever. And they'll argue with me. But if you really think about it, even if you have love to have love, you have to be grateful that 
you're able to even experience love. Can a rock experience love the way a human can? I don't think so. So gratitude is more powerful because when you're gr grateful, it's saying that you're thanking the universe for everything. It's perfect. You're basically reaffirming to the universe, you're perfect. Thank you. And when the universe gets that vibration from you, it's going to keep giving you that mm -hmm. same thing. So what does the creator want? The creator wants to know that the creation is good. And that's why creation keeps perpetuating itself. It's constantly trying to have that gratitude at all times. And gratitude at all times is what Buddhists call enlightenment. Mm, that's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been so amazing. I'd love to do another podcast again and maybe to go deeper into memes. I feel like this created its own life and I love everything that we covered and having a chance to connect with you. You're just such a beautiful being. And um, Thank you. You are as well. See, for, um, cause we're hitting about the hour mark. So for our listeners, um, obviously I'll include all the links in our post-production show notes, but, um, how can everybody find you, connect to you? Any, any parting pieces of advice for people tuning in? Okay. Throughout the episode, I talked about my Instagram, which is 5D Awakening Consciousness. And if anybody is interested in Dzogchen, they can also add my secret account, which is Dzogchen Yogin. And for people to find the Great Awakening map, they can go to my Instagram or they can go to greatawakeningmap.co. And from the website, you can download it for free. You can print it out as big as you want. Or you can purchase professional museum quality posters. I also design t-shirts and small fashion accessories that are related to 5D awakening. So a lot of people from around the world buy the map every day. And it really shows me that people in all countries, all languages, they're ready to awaken. And they're ready to basically step into the new earth. So I'm very thankful for anybody who can make donations or purchase the poster, the map, and help spread the knowledge as far and wide as possible. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for that creation and for the aesthetic and everything. I mean, you just, you're, what you offer the world is such a gift and I'm really happy that we've connected and... Um, for, for the fact that you're helping usher in this new level of consciousness and awareness. Thank you. And for yourself as a designer as well, we are totally doing this together every day. <laughs> I see what you do every day. I take your memes, you take mine. Like Everything that we do is just to awaken this planet as quickly as possible. The, uh, the idea, right, in Buddhism that once one attains enlightenment, it, it ripples through the collective, right, through the group. So the quicker, I guess we speed that up, <laughs> the quicker everybody like, else gets it. Hurry up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need it really, really bad. Totally. Well, thank you so much, Champ. Jen, I hope that we can have another crazy conversation once again. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much.